Here we go. West Hills Friends is a Quaker meeting in Portland, Oregon. You can find more information about our community at westhillsfriends.org. As a Quaker community, we encourage everyone to share from their hearts. Especially as it pertains to God's leading in their lives. These words are shared into a community that values the opportunity to respond and dialogue about what is said. The responses and dialogue are not included in this recording. The views expressed in this content are solely those of the original contributor. And do not necessarily speak for the entire West Hills Friends community. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Yeah. If we've not met, my name is Ryan. C.S. Lewis wrote, To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all engagements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. In January, one of Stephen's closing queries was, what is your true north? I think that's a really interesting question. For me, like many of you, the Bible once served as true north, but has since failed to live up to that task or taken on a different role. But for those of us who grew up with a source of objective morality, when that loses its power, where are we to turn for guidance? When asked what my true north is, I interpret the question through the lens of someone who had one, but has lost it. Pondering true north during the silence, the images that kept rising for me come from the book I've returned to most often since college. The book is called The Myth of Sisyphus and Other Essays by Albert Camus. It contains essays on a topic I spend a lot of time thinking about how difficult life can be, and how it's so much easier to quit in the face of hardship than to push through it. With so many ways for life to be difficult, how does a person maintain joy in the face of everything trying to take it away? To begin a bit of my story as of late, I'd like to quote from one of the early essays in Camus' book. Like great works, deep feelings always mean more than they are conscious of saying. The regularity of an impulse or a repulsion in a soul is encountered again in habits of doing or thinking, is reproduced in consequences of which the soul itself knows nothing. Great feelings take with them their own universe, splendid or abject. They light up with their passion an exclusive world in which they recognize their climate. One of the battles I've faced over the past few years is how to be a functioning, rational person while also having an emotional landscape that's not a flat line. You laugh. <laughs> Halfway through college, uh, between the end of an engagement, my parents' divorce, and the loss of my childhood faith, my body decided it was done having a wide variety of emotions. I spent the ages of 20 to 34 mostly content, fairly peaceful, and completely cut off from emotions like romantic love, joy, and anxiety. 
My days were routine, my jobs were routine, and my marriage was routine. As a teenager, my emotional landscape was just the opposite. I was nearly obsessed with the idea of having a soulmate. I'd sit in my room listening to Jars of Clay albums, halfway singing worship songs to Jesus and halfway sending those same words to whichever person I had a crush on at the time. Christian music is funny that way. I was nearly always anxious, anticipating the next youth group event where a crush might be present. I loved Bible camp, then fell into a deep depression after coming home when there wasn't any more worship music or campfire story time. My journals reek of desperation, desperation to be seen completely, to see another completely, to bond souls with someone who would do the same with me. My shift in college took all of that desperation away. I was no longer concerned with finding a soulmate. I wasn't much concerned with love at all. I came to value consistency as the ideal goal. Consistency didn't move me up and down like a small boat in the ocean. It didn't cost me sleep or cause deep depression. The highs weren't very high, but the lows weren't very low. I was satisfied with the trade-off, though I wasn't aware that's what had happened. After all, if Bono couldn't find what he was looking for, what hope did I have? The summer of 2012 was the first significant crack in my emotional walls. I had lost my job in unceremonious fashion, a job I had planned to retire from. All of a sudden, my sense of security and consistency was gone. My entire financial future now rested on the job market and my pregnant wife. During this time, I could barely get off the couch. I spent hours staring at the wall full of dread. I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't find much motivation to do anything. After two weeks of this, we moved from our home in Vancouver to my mother's basement. That move allowed the shock to subside, and I slowly found the ability to function again. I had to run away in order to move forward. Two months into this period of my life, I first visited West Hills Friends. And three months after that, my son was born. The second crack in my emotional walls came in the summer of 2016. My wife, Sarah, had been on her own journey during this time. First, she realized she was bisexual, and not long after, she came to identify as polyamorous. Those of you present in this meeting around that time may have been present for her messages on these topics. Our marriage had suddenly become much more interesting. We would spend night after night processing her discoveries and what it meant for us. As I am prone to do, I read all the books I could find and eventually came to find that I agreed with the principles of polyamory, even if I wasn't sure it would ever happen for me. I wasn't much for emotions after all, and without the emotions, what's the point? It's a strange thing to hear that your one and only doesn't necessarily want you to be her one and only, but I managed as best I could. But then I met someone who saw me for who I was, and now I wasn't sure I wanted to be my wife's one and only. And that's when emotions broke my brain again. I couldn't eat, and I couldn't sleep, and I could barely get off the couch. The emotions were too much for my brain to handle, and the only way out was to walk away from the stress point. And once again, I had to run in order to move forward. I did that, and my ability to function returned again. I want to return to Camus for a moment. In the myth, Sisyphus escaped from the underworld in order to castigate his wife, who had wronged him while he was alive. 
As punishment, the gods forced him to roll a boulder up a mountain, only to have it roll back down once he reached the top. He was to perform this menial task for eternity. Camus uses this myth as a metaphor for the struggles of our daily lives. We too have boulders we push up mountains every day, and every once in a while there is a pause. The stone rolls down the hill, and we turn to look upon it, then begin the walk back down the mountain. Camus is fascinated by what must go through the mind of Sisyphus as he returns to his stone. If this is his fate, his body has no choice about what it will do, but his mind does. In his mind, there are no chains or boulders or mountains. The power to be peaceful or loving or joyous still exists in the mind. And if our boulders are never going to stop, perhaps the only way forward is to find a way to love our punishment. To quote Camus again, I leave Sisyphus at the foot of the mountain. One always finds one's burdens again. But Sisyphus teaches the higher fidelity that negates gods and raises rocks. He too concludes that all is well. This universe henceforth without a master seems to him neither sterile nor futile. Each atom of that stone, each mineral flake of that night-filled mountain in itself forms a world. The struggle itself towards the height is enough to fill man's heart. One must imagine Sisyphus happy. Currently, I'm three months in to a new battle against overwhelming emotions, and it too has at times left me full of dread and anxiety, unable to eat or sleep. But over the last few years, I've learned through experience that I'm capable of setting self-improvement goals and following through on them. When the dreaded anxieties have arrived, I've run away. But this time I decided I'm not going to run. This time, I'm already in the process of finding out what's on the other side. I've begun therapy for the first time in my life. I'm practicing having and expressing emotions every day. And I'm following Sisyphus's lead. I too will find a way to be happy while I'm rolling my boulder up a hill. And when I get to the top, I'll appreciate the view before walking down and starting all over again. There must be joy to be found in pain and difficulty. And I'm determined to prove this true. What parts of yourself feel too difficult to change? What would you gain if you managed to change them? What would you lose? Have you ever surprised yourself by accomplishing something you previously believed was impossible? Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. We're really happy that so many of you are finding it to be helpful and as a way to stay connected with what's going on with us here at West Hills Friends. If you'd like to stay connected with us in other ways, we have a couple options for you. You can check out our website. It's westhillsfriends.org. There you'll find some more information about who we are as a community. You can also follow us on Facebook. We have a Facebook account by just searching for West Hills Friends. You can also follow us on Instagram. We have a Instagram account with the name West Hills Friends. So we hope that you'll get connected with us in other ways. And again, thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast.